Thank you, Michelle. And it is a good, good to see you uh, this morning on this New Year's Day. Um, I could say that I'm very grateful for rain. I'm very grateful that rain stops and that sun shines, right? Because we've got that this morning, because I think we've got a rainy week coming ahead in front of us. So, um, but the, um, I just want to figure out where to put my Bible here. Um, the messages that we've been doing, the O Antiphon uh, series, we're going to conclude that today with this last one, which is, uh, comes from um, uh, actually the sixth verse of o, uh, o Come, O Come, Emmanuel is what it is. But before, we, before I mention something about that, I just wanted to say how important it is for us to, and, and what we've been doing, for us to embrace these antiphons. Because each and every one of them are creative and imaginative ways in faith that the church has sought to try to answer this one question. What child is this? What child is this? In a way that is simply not, well, he's Jesus, or he is a Jewish man, or whatever. But that faith begins to see something deeper and more profound through the imagination. And that's what we've hoped to capture in this series, to inspire us as we go forward. So today's antiphon is... O can be one, it, it is the one way of saying it is, O day spring, splendor of light everlasting and sun of justice, come and enlighten those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, which actually is connected with that last series of verses in Luke 1 uh, of, that we already were looking at in the Christmas story. Or in the words of O come, O come Emmanuel that, that Michelle referenced, O come, O bright and morning star. And bring us comfort from afar. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. The morning star, which actually wasn't a star and isn't a star, it's Venus. It's the one that comes in the morning before the sun comes up. It's the one that shows up on the horizon before the sun goes down. It is a, or as the sun has gone down. It is a reminder of a regularity and a circularity and a faithfulness that the creation embodies that speaks of the faithfulness of God to us. So, today's text comes from Luke chapter 2. It is at the end, toward the end of that chapter. And before we read that together, or I'm going to read it, you're going to watch it on the slides, um, I would like to offer this prayer and invite you to join me in prayer. <clears throat> o ever-living Christ, come, illumine us with the everlasting light of your Spirit through your word Disperse the shadows cast over our hearts that we may see through the eyes of those who have gone before us that you have come, that you are coming, and you will come again. Amen. Here's the scripture, Luke chapter 2. Uh, you can read along on the screens um, yourselves as I read it from the text up here. This is called the presentation of Jesus in the temple. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male should be designated as holy unto the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, quote, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and then he said to Mary, The child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many <clears throat> excuse me, will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer, night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. So this is one of those passages in the Christmas story that kind of gets left aside, right? It happens after kind of the Christmas Eve and the Christmas, all that story. It's at the end of chapter two. So it's, and, 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 and if you look at the narrative, Luke slides through this event pretty quickly. So what I thought about doing was a little bit different this morning. I hope it, it, it works. Prayers, not crossing my heart, but uh, this works, is that um, in order to remember a story like this, you, and since your imagination needs to be taken into it, and like those of you who've done the Ignatian um, practices, you know that there is a way in which to get into this text and feel what's going on as someone as if you were watching what was going on. So I'm going to try my best to invite you into that place of watching what's going on in order to see the significance of how these two saints, Simeon and Anna, these two seasoned saints, can be encouragement to us as we go into this new year, as a way forward into seeing Christ. A couple things at the beginning. The people at the presentation are Mary, Joseph, the child Jesus, and then these two others, Simeon and Anna. Simeon, the name is derived from the Hebrew word to hear, or the Shema, which comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Right? Simeon is one, we could say, whose life is defined by hearing God speak to him. Anna, the other seasoned saint in this place, in this case, in this story. In the Greek text, it's Anna, but in the Hebrew, it's Hannah. And Hannah means grace. Hannah means favor. We might think of Samuel's mother, Hannah, who prayed at the temple. Okay? She, as far as we can tell from the text, is 84 years old, having been widowed for a long time. So I want you to imagine the day that Simeon and Anna 
saw the child Jesus and recognized their Messiah. Simeon is a just and devout man who is well advanced in age. For what seems like a hundred years, he is afflicted with a longing, a deep spiritual longing, looking for and anticipating the consolation of Israel in the coming of the Messiah. Through the years, he has become weary of exile in the homeland. His bones crack this morning as he works his way to the temple to carry out his priestly duties for the day. He is tired. He is a man who hears voices. He hears God's voice. His name itself reminds him of the great Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Several years prior, God's voice secretly spoke to him that he would not die until he saw the Christ. During the New Year's celebration several months prior, he wondered, could this be the year, as every faithful Jew does, could this be the year that Messiah comes to Jerusalem? But as his aged body climbs the steps to the temple, the question is miles away from his thoughts. The Messiah will come when you least expect him to come, say the rabbis. A family walks into the temple carrying a baby boy. As they cross the first threshold, they make their sacrifice. It is a small sacrifice, two pigeons, just what the law allows for, for poor people to do. It's not a rich family. Simeon approaches the mother and the father. His eyes meet the eyes of the child. He is captivated by these eyes that seem to look through him into eternity. In the moment, he sees something there, a light like the bright and morning star that comes out just before dawn. Something collects inside of him. Something comes together in his heart. And in this moment, he feels this converge, this feeling, this sense, converging with an ancient and ageless message, a word. Prophecies of Isaiah begin running through his head faster than he can think and quicker than light. The child he takes in his arms, he sees is the Christ. The Christ. His heart is beyond belief and his longings burst into words. My eyes see your salvation. This is what you have prepared. This is what you have prepared to come to all peoples. This is the light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. The parents, they're amazed. They're stunned. What is going on here? What is being said? What does all of this mean? Simeon sees the perplexity in their eyes and reassures them by blessing them. The Lord has blessed you. It is given him then to speak from the well of the Holy Spirit. He draws close to Mary and he says, Behold, be mindful, 
this child is set for a fall and a rising among our people. He will be spoken against for what he stands for. He will cause controversy and will be rejected. In, his thought, in, in this, the thoughts of many hearts will be exposed and known. Hesitatingly, he feels compelled to listen to the Spirit speak further. Mary, a sword will cut your soul in two. A heavy silence lingers in the air. Mary and Joseph now know, which they will know for many years, the strange mixture of fear and hope as their hearts continue to ask, what child is this? The heavy silence in the atmosphere is broken by the words of a woman. She's standing near enough to hear the words of Simeon. Her name is Hannah, which means grace and favor. At 84 years old, she has lived without family, having been widowed after seven years of marriage. She has lived long with her loss. She has learned much from her loss. She has learned to long and wait for what God promises, because at this point in her life, only what God promises is what she has to live on. Some days she thinks that this is the only thing that is keeping her alive. Her life is the temple. She is devoted to the regular fasts, the liturgical prayers. She knows who goes in the temple, and she knows who goes outside of the temple. And she knows who's genuine and who's a fake. Her devotion and desire goes well beyond a matter of practice. She too looks and longs for the redemption of Jerusalem, the release of political and spiritual oppression of her people, the poor. She is tired of seeing soldiers beat without cause those who come to worship. In her long years, she knows too these many stories. They weigh upon her. After her common daily prayers, she often sighs deeply, Oh God, come and enlighten those of us sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. <clears throat> Bring us comfort as the morning star rises before the dawn. She's standing within earshot, hearing Sam Simeon's outburst. Something inside her perks up and breaks open. A flood of gratitude that she cannot control is coming from another place, the place of the Spirit. It rises into a swell of thanksgiving. For a moment, she is speechless, yet the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of the Holy One, gives her words. Yes, this child I see is the one who will release the burdens of our people and all who long for it. She looks at Simeon turns to Joseph and then to Mary and to her child and to anyone around them in the temple who is willing to listen. This is the one we have been waiting for. This is the one we've been longing for. 
Here is our liberation. Here is our salvation, our comfort. This child has come to us from the splendor of everlasting light and is the son of justice. Friends, we've sat in darkness for so long and have longed so deeply and with such doubt in these shadows of loss. Come, join, gather with me, gather with us to worship and adore. That's the end. Although it's not the end. Dramatically speaking, these two individuals, Anna, Simeon, combined together to testify as, in a sense, Old Testament saints, moving at the very turning towards that which is going to be new, which will not put away that which was new in the old. But they live at this turning. So they live on the cusp of this turning of Christ's first coming. We live with that coming in the past, in a sense, historically speaking, and we stand at the edge of history looking for the kingdom to come and its ultimate coming. So we'll pray the Lord's Prayer today as that's what we're looking for. There, I don't know if there's any substantial difference between Hannah and Simeon and us other than where we are placed. We are same in the same anticipation and longing. We long for the consolation of this world through the redeeming or releasing of the oppression and burdens that burden people. And here is this one whom Anna and Simeon see. This is the one we've been waiting for. And now we wait again. So we live in this tension of what we've talked about many times of this now reality and the not yet of that is to come. And much of our spiritual maturity grows in that space, living with that tension and the difficulty of it. But it would be wrong to assume that Christ does not come to us in between these comings. What I mean is that Christ came in the incarnation and will come in the fullness of the kingdom but that doesn't mean that in this time period, this year that's of 2023 in front of us, it does not mean that Christ cannot or will not come really to each and every one of us in different ways, obviously, possibly. But that doesn't mean that Christ won't come. And I rest upon this and give you this promise that Christ has promised in his very words to the disciples at the farewell discourse in the upper room, he has promised for that which we seek and which we may long for before the ultimate coming of Christ in the kingdom. So listen to what he said. He said, it is good that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. Advocate, the word for in, in, the, in the text that we read today, for the consolation of Israel in the Greek is the same word as Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the parakletos, the one who comes alongside to guide, direct, teach, confront, change, all of those things, but the advocate so that Christ is present with us even now with the Spirit right here. 
That is a radical thought. And if you were to tell people that who are walking on the sidewalks, they probably wonder, where is this Jesus? And you say, well, you can't see him, but he comes to us. And of course, that would create puzzlement. But that would be the same in any age of faith or lack of faith, right? This promise that Jesus has given to us is of great value to us as we move into the new year. And yet I think there's even more to this. And that is that we look at the ordinary that will unfold in the next 12 months or beyond, of course, and realize that the ordinary is never just ordinary. That there's more going on in our relationships and in the events of this world, things as we move forward. One day I wrote in my journal, and I've thought about this after I wrote it, that there is just as much mystery in the person you stood in line for for coffee this morning as the person that you are praying next to in the pew at church. I thought when I wrote that down, it was just kind of one of those things where you just write it and you go, oh, does it have any value or whatever? The more I've meditated upon that, I've come to the reality that this is true. That, that many times the face of Christ coming to us in between these comings comes to us in the face of human beings. Why wouldn't that be the case? And so in many ways as we enter into this year, I encourage us to hold on like Hannah and Simeon to the truth that Christ comes to us and will come to us and may not in the ultimate way come this year, but that does not mean we don't keep looking for Christ in the face of the other. And not just the other who is like me, but the other who is other than me, the other who may be suffering when I am not suffering. I thought about Esau and Jacob, their conflict and their struggle together and how it is on the, night, on the day that Jacob is supposed to meet Esau. He's so scared. He's so scared. He's got everything there as a gift to, to, to assuage the vengeful feelings of his brother Esau, whom he's betrayed. Esau said, what are, you, what are you doing with all of these things? Why are you trying to give them to me? And then Esau says this verse that is often forgotten about him. He's often the bad guy, you know, in some ways in, in, in Scripture, which I don't think he is and, and completely. But Esau greets his brother who deceived him. He says, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. We see Christ coming to us when we are willing to reconcile with one another. My prayer is, and I know this community well enough, that many of us have irreconcilable issues in our relationships. I pray that we see Christ coming in the midst of those relationships and that Christ would come to us through the face of those whom we know. I also thought of those wonderful, memorable words at the end of Gerard Manley Hopkins' poem, as kingfishers catch fire and dragonflies draw flame, he says, for Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. The promise and fulfillment of Christ's incarnation should give us the assurance of things hoped for 
and the conviction of things not seen as we turn this new year. We may not know where or when this coming year Christ will come to us, and we may have been longing for this for such a long time, even to the point of the extinguishing of hope in our own hearts. But Simeon and Hannah, may they become for us our teachers in this long-lived faith that has a deep conviction that Christ comes to us. And so today we recognize that we have no temple in which Jesus is presented as Christ, but we do have a table, a presence, a host. Jesus, the Christ of Christmas, who comes among us today, comes to feed us with the living bread of his death and resurrection. Let us prepare our hearts and ask our Lord to see him in the breaking of the bread, to know the mercy that welcomes and restores all those who are weary and weighed down. Michelle is going to join me, and we're going to prepare for the table. <clears throat>